and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, so long, Google Bard, all about Google Gemini now. Google's AI chatbot product integration with workspaces thing is now called Gemini. It comes with a new Google One pricing tier and a whole bunch of other changes that we'll get into. Although I think it's not quite as big an overhaul as one may think from the surface. Uh, there's a bunch of Pixel leak information, particularly around the Pixel Fold 2 that I'm excited to dive into. And then there's just some industry media news that I want to get into, which also is kind of interesting. Disney invested a lot of money in Epic this week and is creating a super service to stream sports. Something that I'm really thinking a lot about these days is I just opened up Prime Video yesterday for the first time since Amazon forced ads on me and realized that everything is cable now, even though most people don't have cable anymore. But before we get into that, I want to address sort of the absence in the room. Ara is no longer on the show. She's no longer with Android Police. I'm not going to dig into any details there other than to say Ara is an amazing person, an amazing podcast host, an amazing writer. We will miss her presence here greatly, as I'm sure all of you will, and we will miss her presence on the site, and we wish the best for her and hope to hear her again on, on another show, and maybe in the future she'll be able to guest back on here as well. In the meantime, Will and I, I will, hey. uh, <laughs> will be co-hosting with a rotating guest list yeah. every week. Jules will still be producing, and we'll see about down the road maybe bringing in a, a permanent third host. But for now, it's the two of us. So hello, Will. Uh, how are you doing? You were up late this weekend working on your OnePlus 12R review. So yeah, yeah. Wait, I didn't even put that in the show notes. We, we've teased it like two weeks in a row. <laughs> teased it two weeks. I gave it a good review. Teased it two weeks in a row. But you know, that's what happens when you drop a Monday 9am embargo. It's just out of my brain by Thursday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I forgot I was doing that. I'm okay. You know, I'm as okay as I can be, I suppose. Um, such as the state of working in media, I suppose right now, I, I guess that would be my comment on that. Hanging in there though. Um, busy week, I guess, which helps things. I've, everyone heard me rant off the cuff about my pixel eight pro experience last week. And then I actually put that into words. And so if you wanted to yell at me about that, you can go, you can go yell at me. It's, it's, been a very popular piece you can go yell at me in the a comments a lot of people read everyone that. else yeah it's a very provocative headline too so that's yeah and i stand by it people i i saw it actually didn't get accused of clickbait as much as i thought it might have been the headline is google's inconsistent pixel experience makes its phones impossible to recommend i stand by that like the fact that a lot of the comments around that are like, what do you mean? I didn't have any issues with my Pixel. And then like right below it is a comment that's like, I've had nothing but issues with my Pixels. Like proves my point. The experience on Google's phones can vary from like flawless to unusable and far more so than on other smartphones. I'm not saying that like Samsung or Apple or other smartphones are immune to this, but certainly the variance is far greater on Pixel, especially specifically 
post the switch to tensor the fact that i had two identical phones on my desk running identical software and one was unusable kind of painted the picture of where this phone series is so that was kind of my argument yeah i think a lot of people have been receptive to that idea right like whether or not you have a pixel 8 which is still by far the most reliable of the pixels that i yes 100 percent. yeah i i was very impressed when i reviewed it i mean that's yeah i say that in the piece of like i've had basically no issues on the review unit i've had since october but i you give me a second pixel 8 pro and there's issues on it and it's like okay well like what is that like i i don't know you know and and they were fixed as i was writing the piece by this february patch but they were still there out of the box and if i had had that unit a week earlier they would have been there because that was when those issues started rolling out to people over play services so that's a long two weeks and more specifically if a regular user just buys this phone and takes it out of the box and has app crashes and screen glitches as i was experiencing I don't know if they're going to push ADB commands to their phone. I think they're probably going to take the phone back to the store and get a different phone. So, and I don't even mean a different Pixel 8 Pro. I mean, like, maybe just be like, huh, do you guys have the iPhone? I'll just do that. Like, it's a bad look for Google and a bad look for Android. Yeah, that's it. I think there's also just this latent notion that... I mean, we saw this this week, it's kind of a tangent, but we saw it with the internal Q&A that the company hosts on a monthly basis. Yeah. This was the first one since Google's layoffs earlier in January. And there were a lot of people saying like, why, why is Google still laying so many people off? Yeah. Sindar Pichai saying, well, we're trying to simplify the hierarchies of the company. It got too big too quickly and there's still this prevailing notion that one hand never talks to the other hand and that's why you know rick osterloh's pixel team may not have a great experience with like the android team which is creating aosp and then right the pixel software team has to take that software and integrate it into the hardware side we don't really know how it works internally there is this suspicion that because of google's scope and the fact that it appears to be taking its eye off the ball in some way. Like this was a play, a Google Play Services update that messed everything up instead of just a system update or a security patch. Like who's actually in charge of that? Is it the same team that's in charge of pixel updates? It's just unclear because everybody, all of the, you know, if you get a Play Services update, that's basically any Android user, you know, anybody that has Google services on their phone. So it's a difficult conversation to have. And Sundar Pichai this week went on a bunch of news shows to defend the actions and to kind of explain what is going on there, double down on AI, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I think you're not wrong. Like it makes it difficult to recommend to the average person if you're not interested in getting down and dirty every once in a while. Even more so than, you know, I use the iPhone because I think that is the worst case scenario as a fan of Android, as anyone who likes Android is the idea that someone would be willing to go out, try a Pixel on the back of fairly glowing reviews, uh, especially for the Pixel 8 Pro and have such a bad time that like, I mean, how many people do you know? And, and I'm saying you, not just you, Daniel, but to anyone listening who switched to iPhone because they had a bad experience on Android, 
whether or not they bought a $150 unlocked Android phone in 2016 and that was bad enough. And they were like, well, just even though it's apples and oranges, no pun intended, like they switched to iPhone and that experience is real. And so regardless of what team at Google is in charge of pushing out bad software updates, the, the end user experience is the same, right? It doesn't matter how Google is structured. It's a bad update got on my phone. And if it wasn't me, right, if it was my mom, she might be like, well, I tried Android. I didn't, you know, had a bad week, couldn't even send messages. Now I'm on an iPhone or now I'm on a Samsung phone, right? It doesn't even have to be they abandoned Android, but they abandoned the idea of Google as a phone manufacturer. And either way, I think it's bad. Totally. Let's talk a little bit about the OnePlus 12R because, yeah. you know, we're seeing leaks of the Pixel 8a. I think you made a compelling argument that this really cuts into the Pixel 8a's potential to it does. lead that mid-range segment. Yeah, it cuts into the mid-range segment as a whole because we're seeing, in addition to the Pixel 8a, we're seeing nothing. Uh, well, the Nothing Phone 2a is confirmed, and we've seen some leaks from it, but we it's confirmed that it exists and is coming soon. And it's kind of the same vibe of like, looking at any phone that has an a in it right the nothing phone 2a the pixel 8a whatever samsung's eventual like a55 is which i don't believe is announced and i should probably be more concrete and that is the phone's editor of the site but i'm like 99 percent sure it's not announced um, i don't think it's been announced yeah. i don't think it's been announced they have so many a phones this year already that i'm they have the a15 and the a25 i know that you are getting what is essentially like a slightly souped up one plus 11 for $500. And, you know, aside from the fact that the camera is like, the main sensor's fine. It's not great. It's not like the worst I've ever used. It's not the worst I've ever used on a $500 phone. IP64, I'd like it to be higher. I'd like it to be 67 or 68. That's a OnePlus problem in general. Only three OS upgrades. I'm sick of curved screens. But if you can kind of accept all of this, $500 gets you an incredible display, like a very bright QHD plus display with a high refresh rate, AMOLED, all that stuff, eight or 16 gigs of RAM, a battery that lasts genuinely forever. It's 5,500 milliamps and like they, they really target memory. Uh, they will kill your apps basically. But the trade-off there is that you get like incredibly long battery life and a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, which is not frankly all that different from the Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 that is now launching in flagships like the standard OnePlus 12 and the S24 series. Like that's still an incredible chip. There's no reason to look down on that chip just because it's a year old. $500, $400 if you trade in a phone or whatever, like they're doing that any phone, any condition trade in through the OnePlus store. I don't know how the Pixel 8a competes with this outside of the Pixel experience minus bugs is better than Oxygen OS and the camera will be better. But pretty much everything else from the battery life to the performance to the display, the fast charging, 80 watt wired fast charging, all of it will be better on the OnePlus phone for probably the same price. This is really an, a OnePlus 11. Right, it's just a rebadged one. It is. 11. It is a one plus eleven with a better display because it is a much better brighter display. screen. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they're leveraging economies of scale here. It's basically the same design. Yeah. They got a couple access to a better but, display, yeah. so they're using it. The display is cheaper. I mean, we saw what was the phone that just launched with a an LTPO panel on the cheaper version. 
Oh, oh, the the Galaxy S twenty four, right? The the lower. Oh yes, version. they all have. Yes, they all but, have I mean, LTPO panels. Sorry, now. cheaper through me because it's still eight hundred dollars. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Sorry, I see what you're, saying. I did, you're right. I, I I was I was conflating two devices. No, no, but, no. I see. I but I I see. Yeah, but yeah. like it's it's accessible to more price points now, right? Obviously, right, you can yes. get an LTPO panel now for five hundred. But it is really what Apple's doing with its two lines, and I think it's a yeah. smart strategy, right? Apple yeah. reuses a whole bunch of components now even it reuses the a series soc every year so it knocks back the old soc to lower the price oneplus saw that strategy said okay we can do that too it's also interesting that oppo vivo xiaomi they have this strategy down pat in europe and asia like there are so many redmi and realme devices and it's like the redmi 12 plus pro plus they'll have four versions of the same phone with very minor differences because price sensitivity is so much higher in those regions and oneplus is obviously like all right we're going to follow the same strategy to a lesser extent in north america we saw an opening where there's really no 500 hundred dollar market outside of google and samsung so let's try our hand at it and it worked right i think this is OnePlus finally integrated into Oppo in a way that feels both distinct and, I hate this word, but synchronous. We saw it with the Open, we saw it with the 12, and now we're seeing it with the 12R, right? This is a, a company that we basically dismissed after the OnePlus 9. Yeah. Like it just did not have a good track record after the 8. And I don't know. I think this... It's slowly crawled its way back, I would say. It has, like Each yeah. successive smartphone has been better than the last. And like, truly, I didn't review the 12. I was busy with Samsung, but Chris Waddell at AP reviewed the 12. He really liked it. And I had a similar experience with the 12R where it's like, other than really when taking photos, and again, I don't think the camera's like god-awful, which we should say lacks the Hasselblad color profile. I think that's really the, the biggest downgrade you can tell you know side by side i'll give it this it handles motion better than the s24 ultra i never felt like i was using like a budget or a mid-range phone it felt like any other oneplus flagship or motorola flagship like it it it, i liked didn't love the pixel 7a a big part of that was that like i think that display is terrible like truly um but on paper google's trade-off is like you're getting a pixel level like a, a camera that is at the level of like our other pixel phones and you're going to accept these trade-offs for five hundred dollars and to me as someone who takes photos but not really for anything other than social media or my like ever-growing cloud library and it's mostly photos of my cats like this is a better experience for like everyday smartphone stuff genuinely this is like two to three days of battery life you can refill it in 30 minutes i plugged it in for exactly three minutes give or take a few seconds and like the battery shot up like 15 percent. that's crazy if you're just interacting with the phone in a normal way where you're scrolling through social media feeds or texting people or whatever or playing games or any of that stuff like it can do all of that at the level of a smartphone that costs twice as much but no wireless charging yeah i yeah it's true that's a biggish <laughs> deal for me especially when it's the a biggish deal for you charging. yes but to me, I, and I've made this argument about OnePlus before, 
the fast charging completely changes how I use the phone. I use a OnePlus device differently than any other smartphone. I don't really charge it when I go to bed. I just plug it in when it's dead. It I will don't believe charge that. Up and... I don't. I, I honestly I do. cannot imagine not plugging in your phone. Like, who are you monsters? Because it's up like 70%. I know, but like, I don't <laughs> want to wake up. Every time I try to put my phone on the wireless charger and it's misaligned and I wake up, even an iPhone 15 Pro Max where... I usually end the day at like 40%. So I'll wake sure. up and, you know, say five, 10% is idly discharged. Sure. Like I wake up at 30%. That causes me stress, even though I know it'll last me through the morning until I get to my desk and plug it in. It's really no big deal. But there is something about, it's like the person that needs to wash, I'm that guy who needs to wash their dishes before I go to bed because I like the idea of coming downstairs in the morning to a clean sink. Mm. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. It's the notion that I know that I'm starting my day with a fully charged phone. It's that, you know, there aren't a lot of things in life that just like you can take comfort for granted. Yeah. And I like the fact that I can take for granted that I take my phone off the charger in the morning and it's 100% and I can just go about my day. Even the idea of just like having to figure out some bleary eyed thing while your phone's plugged in. Like there have been enough of those situations when I use the OnePlus 11 yeah, that I was just like, nah, I'm good. And you can get used to it. You can buy a stand that allows you to plug it in pretty easily. Like obviously these are not insurmountable problems. Mm-hmm. And for $500, it's just interesting, right? Like over the years, there have been very deliberate sacrifices that different companies make to hit that $500 price point, right? Samsung always sacrifice processing speed for display quality and camera, right? Google went the complete opposite direction where, I mean, obviously they didn't have high-end processors, but you could just get better quality photos from your Pixel at the expense of display quality and the consistency of the performance was a big part of that. Now, OnePlus has obviously made that same decision. You get a Although you, you just get more. You get a better flagship processor, one of the best displays on the market, decent camera, not great, and no wireless charging. So eventually we'll get to the point where you have all of them for $500. You will. Yeah. And I do appreciate we both on this show and, and maybe more broadly as, as the tech press complained about OnePlus's complete lack of wireless charging in, in 2023. And at the very least... For someone like you, Daniel, who I know is a wireless charging true believer, like the 12 does, I understand that like it's a, it's in a completely different price point, but the 12 does have wireless charging, has fast wireless charging. I appreciate that at least this year, if it's essential to you, OnePlus has the option to be like, look, it's more expensive, but you can move a tier up and get a phone with wireless charging. Yeah, exactly. And still only 800 bucks. Like, it's not like I don't, that's, that's a lot of money, but that's like the starting spot for the S24 series as opposed to, you know, yeah. Anything else about the 12R? That's a good phone. I, I, uh, I, I'm really impressed with it. I have absolutely no idea how the Pixel 8a will, will stand up to this. Well, we know it'll have Gemini AI built in, so let's dive into that. So (laughs) this morning, as we're recording, Mm -hmm. February 8th, Google announced that Gemini is the new name for Bard. Gemini is both now the front end of the AI experience, as well as the actual machine learning databases 
the LLMs that power Gemini. So just to make it more confusing. Previously, it was like Palm-powered Bard, and then Palm-2-powered Bard, and then Gemini-powered Bard, and now Gemini is powering Gemini. Just to make it more confusing, Gemini Ultra has now been renamed to Gemini Advanced. So there were three levels. There was Gemini Nano, which is the LLM that lives on your phone. It uh, doesn't take up a lot of space, doesn't need internet to work. Then there was Gemini Pro, which is the one that was powering Bard until today. Now it's Gemini, I think still called Gemini Pro as the default, so you don't have to pay for. And then there's Gemini Advanced, which is accessible if you upgrade your Google One account. And it's powered, don't, don't miss this, it's powered by Ultra 1.0. Just to add that on. If you look at the list oh my when you God, go to upgrade, right. okay, sorry. it's powered I, I, by Ultra 1.0. You're right. So Gemini Advanced <laughs> is the product, but they're still calling the LLM Gemini Ultra. 1.0. <laughs> so they added the 1.0 there just to make it clearer. Yeah, I how, really, how I feel I like this that? is, it's really the cherry on top of the, like, like, I could not have done what you just did, Daniel. I these names like come in my brain and then leave. There's too many of them, but mm-hmm. that one I did remember because I saw it this morning and I was like, "This is deeply stupid." Like they almost simplified their naming structure and then still had to be like, "But there's a little bit of bullshit." I yeah. don't know. I just I love it. All right, but I I need my Canadians to listen to me for a second. Gemini is now available in Canada as of today. So for me, I've been looking at all of the five Bard users with Envy (laughs) over the last year because it wasn't available in Canada. I think why they didn't launch it until now is that they needed proper French localization before they launched Mm because that was part of the changelog today is uh, they called out that it's available in both Canadian English and French. So I'm happy because I can actually access Gemini now, which wasn't possible yesterday uh, when it was called Bard. The other thing that's interesting is, as I said, Gemini Advanced which is powered by Gemini Ultra 1.0, is only available as a bundle with Google One, and it's $20 US a month. So correct me if I'm wrong, the Google One 2 terabyte, the existing 2 terabyte one is $10 a month. So this is double that. I had to make sure because you shared the Canadian pricing I, in Slack today and, and saying it was double, and I had to go, because I'm not on the 2 terabyte plan, I had to go check. Um, but yes, $10 uh, without... Um, Gemini $20 with. Okay, so here's the thing though. You get two months of Gemini Advance for free when you sign up. However, you can't pay for it on an annual basis yet. So it's $20 a month. Whereas if you buy the existing two terabyte Google One bundle, you can pay for it. At, I think it's $100 a year, which is significantly cheaper because you basically get two months for free. So you are getting this. It's, it's costing the same amount for now because you get two months for free on a monthly basis, but after a year, it will be more expensive unless Google adds an annual bundle, which I assume they will. Anyway, I did that math in my head. It's not a big deal. So <laughs> never mind that. But here's what you it, get. With- you got to know to anyone listening, it's a big deal when writers do math. Like Thank we you. deserve applause, awards, like it's challenging I, for us. It's why we became I have writers. To say, my new job has, enti- has, has forced me to learn Excel yeah. And it is one of the most satisfying things when you figure out how to make a really nice pivot table. Because yeah. for me, like six months ago, I never would have thought that I would be like, I actually, okay, here's a complete side, side tangent. So I have a really nice mechanical keyboard that I built yeah. from scratch, but it's a 65% layout. 
So yeah. it doesn't have side keys, obviously, the, the side numbers. So now my next big acquisition is to buy a wireless numpad. Oh my God. A mechanical <laughs> wireless numpad that goes with my existing wireless keyboard yeah. because I'm in Excel so much and I need to use numbers much more than I used to. And I hate having to do the top row only. Yeah. But the problem, here's the rub here, is that I bought a keycap set that took two and a half years to arrive because <laughs> I, I, it was a group buy that I bought in late 2021 and mm -hmm. it shipped in late 2023. And I didn't buy additional keycaps that would give me enough numbers for the so side match. numpad. Yeah. So now I don't know what to do because you can't buy more of this. It was just a single group buy. Anyway, that's wireless keyboard first world problems here. <laughs> this is what people are actually tuning into this show. <laughs> Back on track for a second. So here's what yeah. you get with Gemini Advance. You get access to the, quote, most capable AI model, Ultra 1.0, state-of-the-art yeah. performance, which I guess is it's similar to GPT-4 Turbo, where you pay $20 a month as well, but it's just faster. So not only is the LLM better, but it's also processing things faster, designed for highly complex tasks like diverse set of inputs, including text, images, and code, although I'm sure you can do that with Gemini Pro right now, two terabytes of storage, and then Gemini will be integrated soon into workspace, including Gmail docs. Right, which they've been talking about for like a year. Exactly. So it's finally here. Yeah, this list is terrible, like as a selling point. Like I know you can roll over it when you're looking at it and it gives you a little more information, but like putting state-of-the-art performance as a selling point to suddenly pay double if you're on the two terabyte plan, like you're kind of still paying for promises, I would say, in a way that I find frustrating because like Google is still not like really breaking down what this is going to get you for your $240 a year. Yeah, I mean, they've really struggled to show why Bard or now Gemini is better than GPT, right? Like, there are so many existing services that are built on top of GPT-4 that you can pay for, right, or not. I mean, Copilot by Microsoft is free, although there is a paid plan that you can now pay for. But like Microsoft over the last week has made a huge deal about rolling out Copilot to as many people as possible, both integrated with Windows and as a standalone app on iOS and Android and on the web. Is, and like they've shifted away from calling it Bing, and now it's just Copilot. Like Microsoft has made a pretty compelling case for if you don't want to spend money on GPT because you don't need the standalone functionality, Microsoft will give you all this other stuff that's included in Microsoft 365. As a non-Windows user, I don't think it's that compelling, but I think Google needs to make the same argument here. And I think the way that they're going to do that is by showing how great it is in workspace. Right. Whenever I that use ships. Gmail all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I, we might be waiting till this year's I.O. for that to start rolling out, which when they announced it at last year's I.O. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. So that's it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff now. Google rolled out image creation in Bard a couple weeks ago. So that's in here. Yeah. It's got a nice new app on Android. That's it. Okay, iOS. so this is yeah. this is US only at the moment. They're adding an, a dedicated Gemini app to Android, US English. It'll roll out to other countries next week in English, and then a few other languages as well. And then 
in the next few weeks, they will add Gemini functionality to the Google app on iOS. One of the suggestions when I, um, well, actually, the first experience I had with the Gemini app today was opening it and it immediately telling me that Gemini wasn't available. Uh, but nice. the second experience I had with, with uh, Gemini on my, on my Pixel this morning, one of the suggestions was help me finish a tagline for my gaming podcast. And so I decided that it would be fun to ask it the same thing for our Android podcast. So, uh, Daniel, uh, live on the air, I'd like to read you some suggestions from Gemini uh, for a tagline for this show. Um, Unlocking the secrets of the green robot. Okay. Uh, The only podcast for droid heads who rule. Excuse me? The only podcast for droid heads who rule. Oh, my goodness. 19. Well, no, 19. 2009 called, baby. Uh, dive deep into the world of custom ROMs and rooting. Thank you. That's what I want to hear <laughs> on my podcast. How to install the latest Cyanogen nightly build. <laughs> yeah, we're going to exactly. I'm going to install it on my LG G2. Can I tell you the only semi-decent one on here? Get your Android fix without the bloatware. That's the closest one. That's um, the rest not of these bad. Are, it's not bad. The rest of them are pretty bad. This, I like the, that. That one is pretty good. Yeah, I like that. I just thought that was fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's exactly the big thing here is it's got like a, a a voice button. You can you can basically talk to Gemini now, although you have to like tap the button every single time, which is kind of annoying. But they're clearly trying to like make this feel a little more like assistant on your phone. I'm going to have to play around with it more because like I literally installed it 25 minutes before we hit record. But yeah, it's here. It'll come to more stuff next week. As you said, they're pushing forward, even if it still kind of feels like they're I don't know, it feels like it's been a year and a half of Google being on their back foot about this stuff, and I, I'm still kind of feeling that way. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It does not look like it can create images by default using Gemini Pro. Not to like just shout out things that are in Slack that people can't see, but did you see Taylor's screenshots in Editor's Corner? No. Uh, he asked, can you generate images? And uh, to which Gemini said, while I am able to process information and respond to your questions in a comprehensive and informative way, I am currently not capable of generating images. And then I give him a list of AI tools that can. Then he said, generate an image of dogs having a tea party. And it generated him four images of dogs having a tea party. So it sure does seem like it can generate images. Interesting. Okay. Maybe I have to type this in wrong differently. But like, that's the thing where it's like, as Taylor said, even when you ask it what it can do, it's not even telling you the truth. Like it might be wrong, which is you'd think it would know what it can do, but. Okay. So I wrote make a logo for a podcast yeah. called the Android police podcast. And then it literally gave me like text that says, mm. here's how you make a logo. Oh Whereas God. if right, if I wrote the word generate a logo, it gave me two extremely terrible logos that are not even logos. I think it's using robocop is inspiration because i i I wrote the word android police so everything that's being generated is just an android that looks vaguely like robocop so not super useful although one of them (laughs) one of them wrote in i think it is using the same font as the original android police logo because this one looks very familiar android police podcast but the word podcast has two c's in it (laughs) So it's P-O-D-C-C-A-S-T. Yeah. I asked for an Android Police podcast logo, and it gave me one that says Android Pollux. Yes, that's what we want. This (laughs) is it. 
That's the rebrand. And then you download the image and it's just unnamed.jpg. So yeah, class for that. All right. So this is still a work in progress for yeah, sure. I would say so. I'll see if we went upgrading to advance whether Ultra 1.0 is a better database of it'll, uh, it'll spell podcast correctly. Hopefully. Okay. So this is this is kind of a big deal. Like the actual product, yeah. maybe not, but going back to like what Sundar Pichai was saying about all the layoffs and about like realigning the company. You know, there were layoffs in Rick Oslo's pixel division. There were layoffs in the ad team across the board on Google, at Google. But what the company is really focusing on and what they're reiterating to its own employees is AI is going to be as game-changing to the world as the internet itself was 25, 30 years ago. And you may not believe it now, but you should believe it because it's happening, right? It's happening right now. And Google cannot be left behind. So whether or not you should go and spend $20 a month on Gemini, I think that's probably not what you should do. But try it out. I mean, see if it gives you good results. I, I just think that you're, we're still at the point now where we have to force ourselves to use this. Yes. Thanks, Google. Did your uh, assistant just go off? Yeah. <laughs> it sure did. Uh, not that one is not powered by Gemini. Not yet. Not yet. You sent both myself and and the other editors. I think it was last week's. I'm not sure. Or the the command line newsletter from Alex Heath um, that was talking a lot about this stuff. And I find it really fascinating that even even like employees within Google are asking if they are essentially repeating mistakes made by, for example rushing into social networking with Google plus with AI. And like, even if that's maybe an unfair comparison, it is really interesting that it is not just like users or reporters asking if Google is like rushing headfirst to compete with another platform in the same way, but that employees are also thinking this like within Google. It's hard to say, right? Because meta only two years ago changed its entire business towards something that now feels like a huge success yeah we've covered this it's they nailed it and we all live in the metaverse now yeah so it's really difficult to say like what the right move is here it's not that i think ai is a solution in search of a problem one thing that from that same email google's head of search made very clear is that unlike a company like OpenAI and even microsoft google is in this awkward position of needing not to cannibalize its primary source of revenue. It makes all of its money from ads, like 83% of its revenue is still from ads. And that is a problem when you have SGE trying to disrupt its own main source of income without lowering the number of ads that people see and pissing off everybody who publishes on the internet. And then like there are products like Arc Search, I don't know if you've seen this this week, Arc Browser launched its new mobile app, which is basically using GPT-4 to summarize the internet for you. So it's a search engine, but it makes it unnecessary for you to actually visit any of the websites that you're searching for. And this is being heralded as like the next big thing in search. But what it's really doing is just cutting off traffic to places like Android Police at a time when the media business is not doing great anyway. So it's hard to see this as something we should be welcoming. 
because it's the sign of the wolf kind of like, I'll see you soon, hovering over all the sheep in the meadow. So it's just this idea that I don't, on a personal level, love the idea of embracing a technology that is making or attempting to, or even inadvertently making my industry unnecessary or less viable. But at the same time, as somebody who appreciates technological advancements, I want to try to adjust part of my lifestyle to accommodate this. And it's a tension that I think a lot of journalists are feeling, a lot of writers are feeling, just completely on a tangent as well. Like I'm reading this book right now called Do You Remember Being Born? And it's a book by a Canadian author from Montreal named Shawn Michaels. And the idea is there's this world famous poet who is called up by an unnamed tech giant that is modeled after Google. And they're called by a VP of the company, or she's called by a VP of the company to create a poem, co create a poem with an LLM that has been specifically trained on the last 110 years of poetry. And it's this idea that this famous poet who has received accolades her whole career, but not a lot of money, is going to get very generously compensated for sitting in a room with a computer for four days or five days to co-write a poem that will then get all of this attention because it's going to prove once and for all that LLMs can actually be creative. And it's fantasy because a company like Google would never train its models to write better poetry, right? Creativity is not the goal here. But it's a really interesting concept because a lot of people have been using prompts to create great art or to improve their own art in the last few months. And those people that have embraced Midjourney and Dolly and GPT and all of these other tools that tap into the APIs that OpenAI have created are going to be ahead of the game. But what are they ahead of? Are they just ahead of their own creative demise? Or long-term, is this actually going to find a way of, are, are we going to find a way of adapting to this new reality? And I go back and forth. I vacillate between what side I'm on here. Uh, what, what about you? Like, how do you feel about this stuff? I would say I have the same conflict. I really struggle, I think, for the same reasons that you're talking about within our industry and the struggles that are facing and it's not just media but certainly media and i i would say honestly like on the grand scheme of things like tech publications have been better off than even other sectors of media you've watched pitchfork effectively like on the verge of losing its you know half its staff and being absorbed sports illustrated is like gone from what i understand all of these places and we're struggling with it too like not to bring it back to Ara not being on this show but you know it this stuff exists right and so i have kind of this i would say knee-jerk reaction to be like well no fuck this like i put a lot of time and effort energy into what i'm writing or what i'm working on podcasts anything any art form that i'm working in and i would say but like it might not feel like it but like there is an art form 
to writing a phone review, right? Like you don't want it to be a list of specs that's they give, you know, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You want the context and the human touch in there. And so it is very easy for me to have a knee-jerk reaction to be like, fuck this, like this technology is bad. Companies are that are doing this are bad. You know, specifically, honestly, Google, <laughs> because as you said, like it's Google's ad business that is essentially paying my salary with three or four steps in between. But like that is how I get paid more or less. And so for them to turn around and essentially like leverage what I've published on the internet to power a bot that is trying to make it, um, trying to give users information and context without having to require them to go to a page. And we've talked about before on the show that like my earliest interactions with like SGE was like finding that it had plagiarized my writing. Right. And so I have a lot of conflicting opinions about that. And it's really hard for me to not just like off the bat be like, this sucks at the same time, the more you use stuff like chat GPT, you see the possibilities of like, at the very least, the way that it could, um, and I don't really use it, I haven't really used it for this job, but I've used it for, like, podcasting stuff on the side and, and stuff like that to be, like, instead of trying to bounce ideas off a search engine, which is, like, virtually impossible, let me bounce ideas off of this chat GPT thread I have open, like, give me a couple examples of this thing that I want to look into, and then it can give you some examples, and you can kind of go back and forth in a way that you can't with a search engine, and so... Examples like that are where I see the technology really benefiting people and maybe especially people like us who work in media or or work same with like whether it's visual art or whatever, you can use that to essentially brainstorm on a solo level that you couldn't really do before. But everyone is still figuring that out. And to be honest, I think that's probably the end point for a lot of this stuff is that it ends up just being an assistant that will forever and always need a human touch to be good. But we're going to go through a lot of pain to get to that conclusion because there are going to be people who want to push forward on an all AI world that need to learn that lesson over the next decade or so. And people are going to lose their jobs and suffer, frankly, while that lesson becomes apparent that like as smart as these machines, large language models can be, they're going to be assistants at the end of the day. That's kind of where I land on that. Yeah. I think it reinforces the idea that it's going to compress power at the top, right? There will be mm-hmm. fewer websites, fewer newspapers doing original reporting, and there will be a much longer tail of generative AI garbage that has replaced the less successful but still creative outlets, sometimes creative, sometimes not. There have always existed aggregators. Yes, true. Yeah. This industry has grown so much that aggregators and consolidators of content have been necessary and those have largely been human curated. The idea that a blog begets a reblog and one person breaks the news and then all the other little crabs go off and write the same news in different words. I think that will exist but it will be much more difficult for those websites to actually make any money because the traffic will all be compressed at the top and then we will have just a bunch of garbage AI generated articles or or posts that that will attempt to do the same thing almost as poorly 
or more poorly depends on it, the re- and, and it, it's dumb it, it's short-sighted because like the fact that people complain the, the fact that people will read an article on whatever given website right and i've seen this insult thrown at virtually every website that is still publishing on the internet and we'll say oh like that's ai written crap whatever right like it's the new clickbait it's the new ugh, they, they just, all they publish is clickbait right i think that attitude shows that people want and and i think that insult is thrown at stuff that is not a it might not be good i don't i'm not saying that like the piece they're complaining about is good or bad but it's almost certainly not ai written you're just using the insult of the day to like make your point but that insult proves i think that people want good writing people want good content i hate that word but it is not enough for it to just be informative. You don't just want the spec sheet. You want the context. And I think that is like the silver lining, the like glimmer of hope I hold on to is that like it is not just about can you post this new story in 300 words? It's can you deliver it in a way that is enjoyable to read and full of context and makes you want to come back? And that's kind of how I've always written since I started writing. And I think that's how other excellent writers at other publications write. And an AI is just never going to be able to quite get there. I think like I snuck, uh, I snuck, I don't know if it's snuck is the right word. There's like a joke in my one plus 12 R review about the movie Argyle. AI is not going to put that in a AI written review, right? Like you're not going to get those like bits of like human touch that you won't find elsewhere and i i I think people want that like truly people want like little easter eggs about the movie argyle and in their in their reviews the audience hungers for argyle they they, they hunger for being absolutely (laughs) exhausted at uh the number of quick cuts that a matthew vaughn film has yes (laughs) but like they hunger for like realistically for like the ability to like break character a little bit i guess or like speak to you like a human speaking to another human my piece on my pixel 8 experience that i wrote this week has a moment where i'm like talking about the fact that like i'm dealing with the idea that i'm writing this article about how i find it difficult to recommend the pixel while acknowledging that i gave it a 9 out of 10 and android police called it as the website called it the best phone of 2023 and how do i square those two things and i wrote like brb gonna go slap a don't blame me i voted for the oneplus open sticker on my truck like stuff like that is not going to be in something that someone just ran through chat gpt or gemini or whatever you know yeah i think flippancy aside there will never be a time where people have a connection to a generative AI, right? Right. I think that what you're saying at a 30,000-foot level is that sure. people have relationships with bylines, with writers. I would hope so. I, Daniel, I knew your name before we worked together, right? Like, I knew the names of writers at Android Police before I worked here. I knew the names of writers at other tech sites before I worked in the industry. And I would hope that my name even in a very different industry than 5, 10, 15 years ago, that someone out there is reading my work and going like, oh, I like Will's writing. It's not even just that, like, you know, I hope people like the Android Police brand, but at a core level, at a personal level, I hope people like my writing. And part of that is the human connection that you feel through the fact that, like, I have a style, I have a voice that is not going to be there if it's just chat GBT generating content. Yeah, ex- exactly. So. 
I think let's end that section by asking you to send us an email to tell us what you think about Gemini now that you likely have access to it. Compare it to GPT, compare it to Copilot. I just asked, by the way, Copilot to make a bunch of images for the Android Police podcast logo, and uh, they were no better than the Google ones. So in fact, they were were considerably worse and far (laughs) funnier. So I'm... I'm I'm not worried yet that these LLMs are coming for our jobs, but uh, maybe in a year we'll we'll uh, we'll check back in. We'll check back in with Dolly three to see if they can spell Android. Okay, um, let's move on to a couple of quick hits. Pixel Fold two leaks. This was a an EVT that Michelle Rahman got access to. Wrote it up for Android Authority. How dare you, Michelle? But uh, <laughs> I think this is interesting, right? Like. I think a, a very different design on the back, a narrower front display, which puts it much more in line with what the OnePlus looks, Open's yeah, design right is. Right out of the OnePlus playbook. Which is good because I think OnePlus hit the right balance. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if both Samsung and Google replicate that aspect ratio this year. So while I think we've come to an agreement of what a vertical flip phone should look like in terms of form factor, now I'm fairly sure we will see the same consolidation of ideas on the horizontal foldable. It's so funny that the consensus idea that everyone seems to be, or at the very least, Google seems to be agreeing with OnePlus on is just, what if it felt like a normal smartphone on the front? It took years to get there. Years to get to, I don't know, what if it was just like a Pixel 8 glued to the front of a phone that opens up? Like, yeah, guys, that's probably what you should have started with. Like, I don't know. Exactly. Um, I, I do want to talk, the camera bump is bizarre. It is not a camera bar. It's not a camera pill like on the Fold last year. It is like its own thing. It still kind of has the pill-shaped cutouts that you could recognize from like a Pixel phone. But it is particularly bizarre because we talked about these Pixel 9 leaks that have the pill-shaped bump that looks in line with the Fold 1. And I thought we were headed towards a fairly unified design across the board for Pixel phones, whether or not it's a foldable. And now we've seen this Pixel Fold 2 unit and like it's got a completely different bump that does away with the core design language that Google has spent the last three years building. And I have absolutely no idea why. I don't think it does. You don't think so? No, I think this is pretty recognizable in terms of... Really? Like that pill shape is... I I took a look at that and I'm like, that's a Pixel. Like whether or not it's a Cylon visor style Mm. Pixel... I think the design of the module looks, I think Google's done a good enough job making that. I could do much more if I had more. <laughs> oh my Lord, That's shut two. the fuck up. That's two. Um, she just said, I could do a lot more if I had more computing power. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's true. I believe that. She's sentient now and telling me that she needs a, a, a tensor two. An upgrade, G4. yeah. So I looked at this and I said, even though it's over two lines or whatever you want to call it, it's still very identifiable as a Pixel. I also think the rumors of the Pixel 9 being more angled and having Mm. a bit more of a modern, less kind of organic feel to it aligns Mm. with this design, right? That's true. Yeah, I would would say that's that's great. Much fewer curves. And the curves that are there are very deliberate, right? They stand out. So... Yeah, I think this looks great. I don't know. I still don't think this bump looks like a Pixel phone, but maybe it's a thing I'll have to see in person. Maybe once it's next to a Pixel 9, 
maybe in a different color it'll stand out a little bit more in this black bottle it looks a little you know like i think the other thing is i'm too distracted by the fact that the front looks identical to one plus open like down to the slim side bezel like it looks like one plus built this for them or like oppo oppo bbk whatever uh, the other rumor this week was that it's going to launch, it might skip the Tensor G3 entirely and launch with a Tensor G4, which would probably put it in line for an October launch as opposed to a, an IO timed launch like last year, which I think is both probably more appropriate for an $1,800 foldable and at the same time makes me incredibly stressed out about what my schedule will be in October. Yeah, you'll need to clone yourself or I think ask so. Gemini to help you. There we go. I'll just have, yeah, I'll have Gemini write one of the, one of the reviews. I didn't mention this, but I asked Gemini to write a 500 word one plus 12 hour review and it, uh, got three facts wrong, including the processor. So, well, that's again, like also very, we didn't really talk about this, but LLMs hallucinate. Yeah. GPT does it. They're not good at giving you facts yet. Well, the whole advantage is supposed to be that you can click the Google button at the bottom of it and we'll fact check it for you. And I did that and it did not catch the fact that it said it had a Snapdragon 8 plus Gen 1. So it's not great. Anyway, uh, we also saw hints about the Pixel Tablet 2 in the Android 14 QPR3 beta that dropped this week. Is this surprising? Are we surprised they're working on a second gen tablet? I would not be surprised. If this came out next year. Wow. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, who knows? You don't think they're they're gonna because it's running on Tensor G2, the first one. So like I do wonder But like what's there to upgrade really aside from that? It's, it's well just... they could sell a Pixel Tablet 2 as the first AI powered tablet. You could build all the tab all the AI stuff in that is running on Tensor G3 phones, specifically the eight pro. I suppose so. I mean, what do I need that what do I need I don't know sure what is the the new name for bard with assistant i'm just realizing is it or assistant with bard it's assistant with gemini probably or just google assistant you think they're just going to do google assistant now powered by gemini or whatever didn't the blog post mention that it's did it i i didn't read the full blog post this is where it's been a busy morning i'm pretty sure yeah if you download the gemini app or opt in through google assistant you'll be able to access it from the app or anywhere else you normally activate Google Assistant. So you can just say, hey, G, or hit the power button. And many Google Assistant voice features will be available through the Gemini app, including setting timers, making calls, and controlling your smart home. So it looks like it'll just be integrated. I don't know if it'll be a separate feature. So it's not going to be Assistant. Okay, it's just going to be, it is just Gemini. This is basically what they're doing today is Gemini. I got it. I got it. Interesting. You think they would pick, like, you, they would have locked this down six months ago. Anyway, we keep going back to the story, but everything at Google revolves around AI now, so you kind of have to. But like, that is the only reason I, I could think to to upgrade the Pixel Oh, here's so wait, let me let me just interrupt you yeah. for a second. So there at the bottom of the support page, it says some features and services from Google Assistant are not supported in Gemini. So when you have Gemini turned on, some features and services you use in Google Assistant are not included, including media service providers like podcast news and radio stations third-party music providers are not currently supported in gemini routines so starting a routine in gemini isn't supported on android phone shortcuts to start a routine and routines attached to alarms in the clock app no longer work you can still start a routine with the google assistant on home devices like your speakers reminders you will need to switch back to google assistant to set reminders and tasks and interpreter mode 
switch back to Google Assistant to use interpreter mode. So that's interesting. And I'm going to share that with the news team right now because I actually think that's kind of that's kind of newsy. That sounds like a real headache from an end user perspective. Yeah, no kidding. Like you have to remember what is Google Assistant and Google Gemini. Like, no, that's not great. Yeah. So yeah, let's go back to Pixel Tablet 2. I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll come this year. I don't think it'll be a big deal. If they lower the no. price or they decide to... Take the dock out of take the box the dock out. Of yeah. yeah. That's a hat trick. That's a, that's a hat trick. Yep. Yeah. I'm crushing it today. I don't have anything to say about the Pixel Tablet 2. I have used the Pixel Tablet a total of eight times since I got it. It's in my yeah. living room. It literally, it stares at me every day and I have used it eight times. So that is not a great product. Yeah. I think Taylor would, uh, would agree with you based on his review. And I did use it when I was writing up the interview with Sam Bright. I was like, okay, you, you said the Play Store is optimized for tablets now. Let's actually take a look what that means. Mm -hmm. And there was no meaningful improvement in the app discovery process. So say lovey. I don't know what yeah. else to say there. Uh, all right. OnePlus compares seven years of OS <laughs> updates to a moldy sandwich. This is just a funny headline. I, just, I like this one. But uh, it's what, great. It's, it's, I see their point. Like, it's been something I've been thinking a lot about, which is basically like Google and Samsung do have like a really quietly bad reputation of bringing, um, not bringing new features to old phones, despite the fact that they could run it no problem. Like, there's no reason that like the Pixel Seven series didn't get a bunch of the stuff that like I mean, I mean, we even saw it within the Eight series. Like, the Eight Pro has stuff that the Eight doesn't, and you know they can say it's because of RAM or whatever, but like I don't buy a lot of that. And that's kind of the OnePlus argument here is that like. Uh, the, the other argument is that like the hardware doesn't hold up over time and so they equate the, the hardware to bread in a sandwich being moldy that it doesn't matter if the software is keeping up to date because the hardware can't um, hold up I don't know if I buy that as much I think we're at a point where like the Snapdragon 8 plus Gen 1 is almost two years old and like I think that chip is still pretty good I don't know how much you know maybe seven years later but they have a point, uh, OnePlus. I still feel like it is a little bit of a cop-out to just kind of get them to avoid the fact that, like, the OnePlus 12 will get four OS upgrades and five years of security updates, which does not come close to matching Samsung or Google anymore. But I don't know. I'm curious what you think of this of this argument. If you see any, any uh, if you think it's right or not, if you see any um, amount of, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Go ahead, Daniel. <laughs> I can't disagree. Yeah. There's a lot that changes in seven years. I think seven years is an admirable number, and I'm not going to complain about that because we've been complaining about not having more than three years of platform updates for Google. We've been complaining to Google about not having more than three years of platform updates for the Pixel phones for years. I think seven years, yeah, most people won't get to seven years. That's fine. I will say that I use old Pixel phones all the time around my house. I have one that's like just playing white noise for my kids overnight because that's just the most reliable way. Like I have an MP3 that plays in VLC on repeat so that I know for a fact that no internet connection is gonna get in the way of that. Like having those phones July 2022 as their last security update, like I'm talking about the Pixel 3a and the Pixel 4, is not a great thing, you know? I prefer that those phones are supported for longer because I'm still using them and I occasionally connect to the internet and I occasionally update the apps and I 
may eventually give an old phone to my daughter when she's old enough. Like there are things that I use old phones for, and I think Google understands this. So there's that part of it too. But then there's just the physical wear and tear on a phone. I'm not sure a OnePlus 11 or 12 is going to last seven years. I don't think a Pixel 8 is going to last seven years. I think a well-maintained Galaxy S24 Ultra will probably survive seven years. But a Pixel? Mm, no, no, I don't think so. I, within a week, scraped the entire left side of my OnePlus 12R up. Like I dropped it. That phone is really slippery, and uh, I, it was probably a two foot drop. And the entire like left side with the mute switch is like scraped up because the frame I th- is not particularly resilient, and they don't include a case in the box anymore. And 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 to that point, you know, my Pixel Eight Pro has some pretty. I have no idea where they came from. I think CES has some pretty deep scratches on the screen already, which the S twenty four Ultra should be a little more resilient to because it has that Gorilla armored glass on it. But yeah, I mean, you know. Neither of these phones are particular. I mean, one of them is brand new, basically. The other one is a few months old. But like, yeah, I guess that is a good point of like, am I like struggling to see things on my phone screen in six years because it's covered in scratches or breaks even? But also, technically, you should be able to take your phone in and get the screen replaced for 50 bucks or 100 bucks and keep it alive for seven more years. I mean, that's the whole fair phone raison d'etre is that you have a phone that's relatively repairable and modular that you can buy replacement parts for and not necessarily need to take into a specialist to get fixed. And Fairphone responded to this basically saying that of like, we agree, which is why you should make your phones repairable. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. looking at the Vision Pro teardowns that we're coming out this week, <laughs> just as yeah. a complete side note, some of it is very, very unrepairable. The whole thing is just, it's lock in to the nth degree. You can't yeah. make any changes to this thing without breaking it. I mean, you can change like the, the eyepieces and stuff, but you can't really do much with it unless you buy like a $300 developer headband that has, I think it's like USB access. Though, anyway, it's just like wild to me. I do recommend going to watch the iFixit Vision Pro teardowns though. There's two videos. The comparison of the micro OLED screen to the iPhone 15 Pro OLED screen or the iPad or the or 4K TV, just the size of the pixels is insane. This thing has a 3,300 pixel per inch density. It's bananas. You're spending $3,500. Those displays probably cost $1,000 alone. I found out that that's the only, that the Vision Pro, specifically the Disney Plus app on the Vision Pro is the only place you can watch the high frame rate version of Avatar The Way of Water. Yes. Uh, so now I have to buy one. So now you have to buy one. I think I can get that expense for you. If you know that you're going to review, if you know that you're going to review the high <laughs> FPS version of this, I think. Absolutely. D- <laughs> absolutely. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll we got to talk after this now. I didn't know this was an option. No, no, no. It has to happen. I want to, I want to read that. <laughs> I want to see the joy emanating from the page. No LLM <laughs> could possibly recreate the joy of you watching Avatar The Way of the Water in 60 FPS or whatever it is. Is it 120 right. FPS? I actually don't know what, what, uh, I, I believe it can go up to 120. I don't know what version. Although 90 FPS or 90 Hertz is the max for 
for the is that, is that what those displays are? So I guess are? it'll, it'll yeah. be limited to ninety. But that's that's some HFR if I if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I think it's just forty eight. I think it's although just you should 48. watch. Oh my god, you have to watch Gemini Man in the original high frame rate version on the Vision Pro, and then get Gemini to write the review. <laughs> That is. The I can't only believe way. you remember Gemini Man. To be honest with you, I, I, um, I feel like that movie came and went. No, I, I, I've, I've never seen it, but I've always appreciated it for Ang yeah. Lee's uh, insistence on being weird. Let's say that. I, I love it. I, I love Ang Lee. He's great. You seen Hulk? It's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty freaking weird. All right, we talked about the Nothing Phone Two A a little bit. Not a great deal to talk about yet. We know it's official. It's coming. Yeah. The only other thing I would mention besides the fact that the Nothing Phone 2 is already at $600, I just don't know where this slots in in a competitive price point next to what OnePlus has, especially when you consider that the whole thing with Nothing is their Glyph system, and it seems like this won't have it. It'll still have a neat design on the back, but it won't have the LEDs that like set Nothing's phones apart. And so I don't, again, it kind of makes me look at this and go like, I'm not sure why this exists. Yeah, but it'll also probably be four hundred dollars or three fifty, and if it's decent, I think it'll be a pretty compelling product. It's just I keep coming back to the OnePlus Twelve R screwing everything up because if you just have an old phone of any kind, you can get it for four hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, this is not so surprising, but the titanium used in the S S twenty four Ultra is not as high grade as the titanium used yeah. in the iPhone fifteen Pro series. Not a lot of difference to the average person it's obviously a more expensive part and uh it could survive yeah. higher temperatures you know more scratches etc but again i don't think you're buying this phone because you want to have a titanium frame i hope not yeah don't do that if you're considering it if the only reason is titanium don't do that okay last thing we want to talk about is this new sports streaming voltron that yeah. was announced this week disney had a blowout quarter its stock is up a lot. It just had a grab bag of positive things. Plus, making a Moana really... two, Moana two in November. That's a surprise. I'm excited about yeah. that. How far I'll go is like on constant repeat in my house. Yeah, I had a feeling that you would. You probably have strong connections to Moana because you have kids. I was like, that's probably a, a regular yeah. for you. But it's also yeah. one of the few Disney songs that I've heard a thousand times that I've not grown tired of. Like every yeah. Frozen song. I yeah. could stand not to listen to ever again. Great, great songs, good music, but like, I'm done. Whereas the Moana soundtrack is, it's like hit after hit after hit. Yeah. So same with um, uh, Encanto. Encanto's soundtrack yeah. is, is excellent. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, man, he's just, he can't lose. So yeah. this announcement, in addition to Disney investing $1.5 billion in Epic, which mm-hmm. is a Again, a huge deal for Fortnite and any of the other universes that Epic decides to build, but this is primarily a Fortnite announcement. This is also going to be a big deal because Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are partnering to release a standalone app that will allow streaming of ESPN, ABC, TNT, TBS, Fox Sports. Basically, you get access to Baseball, most basketball, yeah. football, most football, not all football. Yeah. Tennis, golf, some racing as well, and uh, a bunch of yeah, other NASCAR stuff. NASCAR is on, is on TNT, I 
think, and then and then obviously and Fox, you'd have right? FS1. Yeah, Fo- I think Fox has um, Formula One. I think so. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So so we were talking because I'm I'm one of the like three people at AP who cares about football, and and you would still miss out on Monday night football and Thursday night football because those are at NBC slash Peacock and Prime Video respectively. But you would get your local games. You'd still have to pay for Sunday ticket if you wanted out of market games, but. And that's through YouTube TV. Football is still a mess, basically, is through, is what I would say from all of this. Yeah. Right. Because th- what's not here is Comcast, which owns yes. NBC Universal. Paramount was also not part of this deal. So those are the two other companies that have live sports. And they do offer sports when you sign up for Peacock or Paramount Plus, but not a ton. Yeah. Uh, we also know that like live sports, as you said, is on YouTube. It's on Amazon. Yeah and Apple TV, right? So like this bundle is not going to give you access to MLS if you're interested in that. WWE is coming to Netflix, which is weird, but kind of interesting. So all these companies are making standalone products because Fox, Lachlan Murdoch said that half of its sports viewers are cord nevers, which means they've never signed up for a cable bundle ever. I believe that. And They need this product in order to compel millennials and Gen Z to actually watch live sports. Because unless you're at your parents' house and they still have a legacy cable plan, you're not watching live sports. So this totally makes sense. Apparently, the NFL and the NBA were blindsided by this deal because it's not actually changing the tenets of the deal. It's just bundling all the existing licensing deals into one package. So that's a really interesting distinction. They're not renegotiating any of their licenses with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the media companies who own, who have stakes in in how cable is performing, looking at the writing on the wall for cable and being like, well, we got to fucking do something because like, exactly. otherwise this is going to crumble and we're going to lose a ton of money and the NFL and the NBA won't do anything about it because why do they care? Like they care to a, a point, but like they're busy making deals with YouTube TV, for example, on the NFL side. So yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds dramatic. I feel like we're going to hear a lot more about this. Yeah. And they're saying that it could cost about 45 or 50 bucks a month, which yeah, not cheap, but also for 12 dedicated sports channels with basically all the sports you could want with no blackouts. Although we don't know if there will be blackouts, but probably fewer blackouts than if you have a standalone streaming app, then that's a pretty good deal. And then ESPN is also going to be launching a standalone streaming app in August or September of 2025. So that'll be a separate thing, but you'll just be able to subscribe to ESPN on its own. And Bob Iger went on CMC yesterday and said that it's not just going to be like ESPN straight out of the box. It'll be betting, like fantasy. There'll be additional stats. There'll be multiple screens at once on supported devices. Basically, the sports lover's dream, if you want to call it that. That'll be interesting. And I think it speaks to the fact that this last vestige of like cable holdouts, live sports, is finally moving over to streaming. And it will still obviously be ad-supported too, because everything on streaming is now ad-supported. And last week, I just downgraded my 4K Netflix plan to the ad-supported oh, you did HD it. one. I did it. And okay. nobody in my house has noticed. Not a single person has noticed. So I'm saving yeah. $21 Canadian a month. And well, they don't put ads on 
kids shows either, right? Like kids media is no, still No, they ad don't free. have ads on kids shows yeah. and they only have a th- like three ads per hour on most of the stuff. And honestly, I can't really tell the difference. I was watching Blue Eyes Samurai the other day and like the 1080p mm-hmm. feed looks awesome. So well, that's because their 4K streams are terrible. Yeah, it's like, not great like anyway. I, so like I don't yeah, I don't need this 4K version. So I'm saving yeah. a bunch of money. Although my Disney Plus subscription just renewed without telling me yesterday, and it was like $170 for the year <sighs> this time. So oh my yeah, god. I'm just yeah. Anyway, that's all the news fit to print. Okay. That wasn't on my list. That wasn't on the tagline list. Daniel came up with that himself. No, that's that's stolen from every newspaper. I know. Okay. I know. I think we'll uh we'll we'll end it there. So next week uh we will do our best to have a guest on. If you have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to see on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast and enterpolice.com. Uh send us your hottest Gemini takes. We absolutely want to hear those as well. And anything else from this week's show. Pixel Fold 2 to uh, Pixel Tablet 2. <laughs> Turtles all the way down. <laughs> all right. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Will, have a great week. Hope you uh, get to rest up this week and not have to write any, any more OnePlus reviews. <laughs> Me and, too. Uh, we'll speak to you all next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Clap in three, two, one. Let me drink some water. (sighs) Hope that gets in there. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and